the idea that that's going to happen flawlessly in a video. Um, Mark wanted to tell me to tell Kidmo you can go. So kinder, first or sixth, first or fifth grade. Never done that announcement before. They do kind of run away from you though. That's good. I'm glad you guys have fun there though. But it is a little disheartening. They just really want to leave. Um, good morning. Um, so glad to be here this morning with you guys that are here and those of you that are watching online. Um, I'm really thankful to be closing up our series on uh, spiritual rhythms. Um, I hope you've been challenged and encouraged and hopefully maybe have learned and started practicing some new rhythms or sharpened some old ones. Um, this morning I'm going to share a rhythm with you that is really dear to my heart, and that's uh, the rhythm of unity. Um, some practice of, of this rhythm could include things like believers or working with believers from different traditions of the church, shared worship services, finding points of agreement instead of disagreement uh, with other believers, distinguishing between our convictions and opinions, which is hard enough in and of itself, but of a biblical principle, and of course refraining from speaking unkind, um, slanderous, and divisive things with among other people in the body of Christ, um, which all those things are a tall order sometimes, apparently. Um, I do want to get something out of the way before we even just get into this, and that's this idea that we have that unity um, somehow has to mean uniformity. It doesn't, and that's, I think, that first slide. Um, disagreement in the church does not necessarily equal disunity or dis. Uh, or divisiveness, division. Uh, in some expressions of the church, deferring opinions and perspectives are actually welcomed and don't keep us from gathering together as one body, even on some of the most fought-over theological issues. Honestly, when Mark and Don and I started talking about this series, we didn't completely agree on what should be included and excluded or combined or uh, whatever, but um, that did not stop us at all. We all have our strong convictions. All three of us have strong convictions over different aspects, but it didn't keep us from fellowship, and it certainly didn't keep us from tackling these, these few weeks together. Um, in fact, each of us, all three of us, would have taken a very different approach uh, to preaching on unity this morning. I, of course, won the coin toss. Um, I'm just kidding. I fought for that. <laughs> it's a totally different thing. <laughs> um, unity, and unity didn't really mean uniformity in the early church either. The church existed for several centuries um, in unity while also having a diverse range of perspectives on how their faith in Christ was lived out. It wasn't until the 11th century that the church could be considered split into Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox, which was several hundred years, mind you, after the creeds like the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed were written. So at that time, the church was still considered what we would consider a united body. Even during the Reformation in the 16th century, the Protestant Reformation, Re Reformation um, the heart of unity was still at work. Before Luther, sorry for the church history, those of you who just have to track with me because this is like what I love right now uh, <laughs> and all the time. Um, but before Luther nailed these the 95 theses to the door of the cathedral in Wittenberg, um, there was a man named Erasmus who was working for reform in the church without dividing it. And to be honest, Luther wasn't trying intentionally to divide the church. Um, he was trying to reform it. Um, and we know, of course, that division in the church inevitably followed. And I'm not going to try to cover that up this morning. Um, the church has made and continues to make grievous and painful mistakes in the area of unity. 
just I'm acknowledging that. Let's acknowledge that this morning. A lot of the way that we view disunity has actually a lot to do with the Enlightenment period of the 18th century, where there's a significant focus on reason and thinking. It's where you get things like Descartes saying, I think, therefore I am. One of the products of the Enlightenment was this idea that unity came, or not unity, but um, truth came from within. I don't want to spend a ton of time here, so I'm really boiling this down to some uh, really basics, but the Enlightenment lit the match for a lot of uh, the places that we find ourselves today. Things like the relativity of truth um, originate here and led to both actual division in the church and this idea that diversity in the church meant a lack of unity. Um, I don't want to get us off topic on that or play Monday morning quarterback with the Enlightenment. I tried to do that too much anyway, anyway but um, I only say that because it, all of these things, including many, many others, affect how we approach this rhythm, period. Um, you may have heard the joke of the two young fish that are swimming in the ocean, uh, and one day they pass a much older fish, and as they pass, the older fish tells the young fish, um, how's the water today, boys? And then they, the two younger fish swim away, and then one leans over to the other one and says, what the heck is water? We often, thank you. I'm really glad for Christina this morning. <laughs> um, we sometimes don't realize the water we're swimming in is my point. Um, and when we talk about the rhythm of unity, we have to acknowledge that we swim in some complicated and complex waters. And we did not get here overnight. We didn't just wake up in this spot. So before we dig into the heart of unity, I do want to take some time and reflect on our own perspectives and sort of check in with our hearts. Uh, Rupert Melodinius is famous for saying the following regarding unity in the church. Uh, he said, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. I want to take a moment and just sit with these words with the Lord in silence. We did something similar when I spoke on the Sabbath a few weeks ago. So just find a comfortable position. Close your eyes if you want. Whatever helps you be present with yourself and with the Lord, just take a breath. I need to take a breath. Let's all just take a breath. What thoughts and feelings do these words conjure up for you? How do you feel approaching this whole topic of unity? Do you feel anger, frustration, hope, shame, despair? Give those feelings and thoughts permission to be here. But also ask the Lord to help you see his heart this morning and be willing to go wherever he wants you to go. You can open your eyes. Uh, like I did a few weeks ago, I just want to light a candle um, just to remind us again that Christ is with us. And we cannot even begin to talk about unity without remembering that because it's Christ who unites us. So with this visual reminder in mind, let's pray. Lord, I am so grateful for this morning. I'm so grateful for your people. I'm so grateful that you have set us free from sin and shame. You've broken all the divisions that we want to put up. And Lord, I just pray that we would hear your heart this morning. God, that you would use whatever words or action um, from me that you want to use, God, that you would give us open hearts, open ears, and open eyes, and that we would see 
that without you, there is no hope for unity. But in you, you can connect in your heart that it is for unity within the church. We love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. There's quite a lot I could say about unity. I'm very passionate about it, and anybody that spends more than five minutes with me knows that I talk about it all the time. <laughs> I like the affirmation of that. Um, but where I really want to start with us for us this morning is just to dig into the heart of unity, because I think if we can wrap our hearts and not just our heads around this, we can actually see why it's so important. And then, of course, I want to give us some just some basic first, first steps to practicing this as a rhythm. But if we're going to get to the heart of unity, we have to realize that unity at its core is the heart of Jesus himself. We're going to look at the, uh, John 17, uh, which is the high priestly prayer uh, of Jesus in the upper room. Um, this occurs uh, at the end of uh, Jesus' sort of farewell discourse with the disciples in the upper room. It's right before he goes to Gethsemane and is arrested. And at the beginning of the supper, at the beginning of this whole thing, remember, Jesus has washed the disciples' feet and told them to serve one another and love one another. After teaching, Jesus prays, knowing that the hour has come for his betrayal and death, and with the disciples right there at the table, he prays to the Father on their behalf, saying this, starting verse 9, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. In praying for his disciples, his friends, Jesus prays specifically for their oneness. He's praying for the kind of unity that exists between the Father and the Son, a unity that has existed along with the Holy Spirit since before the beginning of the world a unity of purpose, bonded in perfect love. Jesus knew these disciples and what they would face. They had different backgrounds, personalities, and perspectives. Some would be prone to doubt or fear or arrogance. Some would die martyrs' deaths. One would live the rest of his days in exile by himself. Jesus knew that it would be unity among them that would bind them together in the days ahead, specifically unity over the fact that Jesus was the true Messiah that had come to save the world. The gospel would go forward because of unity and love among the disciples that developed through their fellowship with Jesus. What Jesus prays next, though, is what I really want to focus on, what I think is really interesting for us this morning. Jesus prays, starting in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. I'm going to pause right there and think. Jesus is referring to those that would believe in Christ through the words of the testimony of the disciples. So that would be anyone that they preached to directly about Christ and anyone that those people preached to about Christ and anyone who read the words of the testimonies of the disciples and believed. Do you realize what that means? That's us. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus stood knowing his death was coming and he prayed for you and he prayed for me and this is what he said, church, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as 
because you love me. Think for a second about this. We only know what Jesus has done for us based on the testimony of the first disciples. And just like these disciples would face many challenges, Jesus knew the church would as well. Unity would not come easily and would require help from God, which is why Jesus prayed for our unity, that we would be one. And right out the gate, one of the first challenges that the church faced regarding unity was among the Jewish and Gentile believers. Now, the earliest Christians considered themselves Jews, Jews that believed that the person of Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. They weren't even distinguished as Christians until the church in Antioch. And even then, they, were still, they still maintained their identity as Jews. But then, Gentiles started believing in Christ, and it became clear that the gospel was also intended for them. This was a challenge for the earliest church, honestly, because up until that point, um, the Jewish believers were rooted in the fact that they were also set apart as God's chosen people. They had certain outward markers, like such as circumcision, to indicate this distinction. They were the ones that were close to God. The Gentiles, then, were the far-off ones, the ones who were outside of God's favor, outside of God's chosen people. This out very literally at the time. They're outside of the temple, for example, there was a physical wall that the Gentiles could not cross without punishment of death. There was a high consequence for Gentiles to be in the same space, the same spiritual space as the Jews. So when the Jews, or when the Gentiles, who had none of these outward distinctions, who weren't God's chosen people, started to also believe in the redemptive work of Christ and following him, it brought up some confusion and tension. Are they now like us? Shouldn't they be circumcised first? This is something Paul addresses directly uh, to the church in Ephesus in in chapter 2. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, that's the Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the laws of the commandments expressed in ordinances, ordinances, such as circumcision, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, Jew and Gentile, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to those that were far off and peace to those of you that were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. What Paul is saying is that even the division between Jew and Gentile is broken down in the work of Jesus. Just as the Jewish believers were redeemed not by their outward markers, but by their faith in Jesus, the Gentiles were likewise redeemed by their faith in him and don't need to additionally prove this redeemed status, for example, with circumcision. So not only can people have peace with God through Christ, they can have peace with one another. Jesus made this oneness possible by breaking down the division or dividing wall in his own flesh. That is, through his broken body and spilled blood on the cross. The incarnational Jesus himself is our peace. And he preaches that peace to those who are far off and those that are near. So if Christ broke down this wall of division with the cost of his own life, mind you, then we should do everything in our power not to build it back up again. So we see that during his ministry, Jesus prayed for our oneness and our unity. 
In his death, he made it possible. And now, as our resurrected king, Jesus Christ functions as the head of the church, and the church is to function as the body of Christ. Seems simple, right? Again, Paul writing to the Ephesians calls us to live into the true reality of unity in the church. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Remember, Christ himself is our peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. See a pattern? Further down in verse 15, he says, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined together and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in perfect agreement? No, in love as each part does its own work. So Jesus, who broke down division in his own body, now holds the body, the church, together. He's the head, the executive function of this body. And all the various parts work together with the work they have been given, we have been given the grace to do. Now here's the hard truth, church. And I want you to hear the deepest level of love I can muster and have for you when I say this. You cannot love Christ and not also love and care for the body of the the church. If you love Jesus, you must also love his church. I want to pause right there and just acknowledge that there may be some real hurt that you've experienced from other Christians and other parts of the church. I have my own list, believe me, and it hurts, and I carry it. That is, I'm not denying that at all this morning. I promise you that. It is not to say that you will always love everything that every member of the church does or agree with them. Nor does it mean that we cannot and should not hold one another accountable for the things that grieve God's heart. If a bone is broken, it is not love to keep that bone broken. You've got to set that bone right. That's important. What I am saying is this. You cannot follow Christ and disown his church. Jesus has knit himself together too closely to the church for that to be possible. And he did that at great personal risk to himself. To reject the body of Christ is to effectively decapitate Christ from his body. We must realize, though, that the depth of this is not just for our own sake as the church. It is for a watching world that desperately needs a Savior. Remember again Jesus' prayer in John 17, but this time I want you to pay attention to Jesus' reasons for oneness among us. And this is a different translation, so we can see it a little bit differently. He prays that all of them, that's us, remember, may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then what? The world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. When the world sees unity among the church, 
among people who are different and have different opinions about everything and don't agree about everything, but who are willing to sit down at the same table under Christ, then they can actually begin to fathom that maybe this Jesus really is the Son of God and maybe he really is worth following. Especially today. This is, this is where we are, church. This is where the rubber meets the road this morning. It is a staple of our identity as disciples in Jesus. As Jesus prays uh, right after he washes the feet, excuse me, the feet of the disciples, he says in John 13, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. John, the disciple who was in that room with Jesus, says, kind of repeats these words in his letter in 1 John. He says in 1 John 4, Dear friends, since God loved us, so loved us, we ought to also love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. God's love is made complete through our love for one another. That means where our love is lacking, God's love looks incomplete. I'm going to say that again. God has made his love complete for us in his love for us because of our love for one another. That means wherever our love for one another is lacking, God's love looks incomplete. God is de- depending and allowing us to express the completion of his love through our love for one another. So unity among the fellowship, the followers of Christ is important enough for Jesus to command it, to pray for it, and to die for it. But make no mistake, our ability to do this, to love one another, to experience unity in the church, comes from God himself. It can come from nowhere else. It's God's love for us that enables us to demonstrate that love to each other and to the world. Christ is operating as the head of this body to enable us to practice that oneness. And he's left us the Holy Spirit to help us. He says in John 14, again, this is still part of that same interaction up in the upper room. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither knows him, sees him, nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Before we move on to some of the practical aspects of unity, I just want to take a breath. I want to check in with our hearts again. You may be experiencing a lot of things hearing these things. Maybe that's conviction, relief, frustration, I don't know, even anger. Um, you want to be mad at me, that's fine. Um, don't tell me, tell Mark. Um, <laughs> but I don't want to move on until we've had a chance to really notice how we're feeling, what we're thinking. So let's take a moment again, just to be silent with the Lord. So whatever you had to do to get present before, do that again. Um, feel free to close your eyes if you want. And remember that the Lord is with us, and he is for you. He brought you this message this morning because he's for you and he loves you. Just take a breath. Where's your heart in all of this? Are you frustrated, convicted, upset, relieved? Just take a moment and let that be known to him, whatever that is.
Now I'd like to take some time just for some silent confession. In many expressions of the church, this is a regular and corporate part of their uh, meetings. Regular confession is part of walking a, a vibrant life with Jesus. And remember, confession is just agreeing with God when you've gone against his will. I want to focus our confession this morning on where we maybe have lacked or neglected to practice unity. So what I'll do is I'll give us a prayer prompt and then take some silence and you can respond to the Lord with that. Lord Christ, we agree that disunity breaks your heart. We confess our secret sins in the hidden spaces of our lives which hold us in fear and anguish, keeping us from you and from each other. Lord Christ, we confess that we make enemies of strangers when we distrust them. Our fear and suspicion keep your people apart. You came to reconcile us to you and to each other, yet your people do not dine at one common table. We confess the complacency with which we live this disunity, the ease with which we keep our prejudices and our refusal to be the one people that you prayed for. God of all people and of all nations, hear our prayer. Thank you that when we confess our sins, you are righteous and just to forgive us our sins and our unrighteousness. By the power of your Holy Spirit, heal our divisions, overcome our hostility. Unite us in the bond of your encompassing love for you, Jesus, are our peace. Amen. When I thought about practicing this unity uh, rhythm, um, I realized there was kind of a path that I followed, and I just wanted to share some of the things that I've learned practically um, for those that you just want to start practicing this rhythm, because it does, I know it's a tall order, I know it seems like a lot, um, but the first step really in practicing the rhythm of unity is to pray for unity specifically. Once you realize that this is a priority to God, and hopefully you don't ignore that, um, it's important to pray to that end. The work of unity is first and foremost a work of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus wouldn't have prayed for us to be one if it was going to come to us naturally. It doesn't. Uh, we know that very clearly. So we absolutely must pray for God's help. Pray for your own heart to be oriented toward the unity of the church and pray that others would have that orientation to unity as well. Pray for this particular body and journey, that we would be one. Pray for the churches in Chattanooga by name if possible. Pray for the church in America and the church in the world, that we would be one like the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one. The best news about this prayer is the confidence we can have in it. First John says this in chapter 5, This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we've asked of him. Hopefully you, by now you agree that unity is God's will. Jesus prayed it, therefore it's God's will. So you can have the confidence when you pray for unity. This has become literally one of the most powerful prayers uh, in, for me in the last decade, for sure, but um, in, I would say in my life. Um, and I have utter confidence that if you start praying for unity, you will absolutely see it. You literally have it in your grasp when you pray for it. That's confidence, right? Because you're praying for unity in the confidence knowing that you have it, though, the second step is to look where God's moving. Because you know he's going to grant it, look for where he's granting it. Look for where he's... Moving in unity. Keep your eyes peeled 
for the fruit of unity in the church. Where are you seeing less division and more love among believers, less competition and more cooperation? Where is there Christians focusing on essentials and being gracious in non-essentials in the faith? Where are you seeing a growth in appreciation for diversity in the body? Where are believers using their gifts in complement with each other, even when they're very, very different? Where are, you, where are you seeing people praying about or talking about unity? That's a, that's a really easy one to spot. Um, look for those things and then rejoice that God is moving and working when you see them. And then when you see God working and you see your prayers literally playing out before your eyes, they take that final step and move toward those people and those spaces. Remember, unity in the body is not just a cerebral practice. It is an embodied and visceral one. It's like down in here. It's deep. And you'd be surprised what depths of God's character you can only learn from believers that are not like you. You only learn those things, though, by being in those spaces with those people, whatever those is to you. Don't be afraid to join other believers, to pray with them, to work with them in unity. It's been incredibly powerful for me to do this and experience other expressions of the church, to break bread with them, to pray with them. I know this is overwhelming. Uh, that might be overwhelming to you. Uh, and you might not know where to start. So yeah, really practical. And Mark's already talked a little bit about this um, in the announcements. But we've got some really practical ways to be a part of unity in our city right now. First is the Red Bank Food Pantry. You may already know this, but the food pantry exists is a reality because of the friendship that Father Al Allison, who is an Anglican priest for Red, Mission Red Bank, um, and Ken Sauer, who's the minister at Red Bank United Methodist, and Mark Love, the friendship, our pastor, the friendship that we have, and, and I'm also in that little group too, but um, I may have introduced Mark to those people. Um, I wasn't. I told myself I wasn't going to say that. Anyway, but the... <laughs> That friendship where we uh, developed out of a weekly prayer meeting uh, where we specifically pray for unity and have for years. And because of that, these churches united together and create, built and have been running a food pantry that feeds thousands of people and is run by a diverse group of believers and some non-believers who care about people that are hungry in our city. There's lots of opportunities to volunteer there and be a part of that. Another opportunity is the uh, care closet at Red Bank Middle School. Uh, again, there are several churches in our area working together so that students there have clothes, shoes, and the supplies that they need. Um, and this is serving our city and our school, which is another awesome thing. And you can be a part of it uh, by volunteering. You can talk to me about that. You can also go on um, our website, ask us questions. Um, we've got a big pile of stuff apparently going to the care closet today got to clean my car out, um, take that stuff. But uh, you can be a part of that, and that's working towards unity. Working towards unity can also mean uh, taking opportunities to pray and worship with other believers of different parts of the church. The Chattanooga House of Prayer in Red Bank is devoted to this idea, um, and they're right above the, in case you don't know where they are, they're right above the Meeting House uh, coffee shop on Dayton Boulevard. Um, they have a rhythms retreat that runs from January to June, and they do once a month, one Saturday from 9 to 12, they'll have a different spiritual rhythm that they'll practice. They'll teach on and then practice together. And it's a diverse group, and it's been one of the most powerful things I've ever been a part of. It truly changed my life and my ministry in the course of where God wanted me to go. Um, Chat Hop, 
which is John Newcastle Prayer. Those of us that don't have to say it all the time. Um, it also has an interdenominational worship night. Uh, very, they do this kind of once a quarter kind of thing um, with worship leaders from all over the city. They get together and they worship. The next one that's coming up is actually November 8th, so it's soon, and it'll be at Oaks Coffee House. And I really encourage you if you can be there. Um, that's a Monday, just to just to be there and worship with those people. Um, there are certainly more opportunities. These are just the first couple of ones that popped in my mind. Um, if you keep your eyes peeled, I'm sure you'll see more. Uh, and I can just tell you, when you're deep, when you're willing to do these three things—to pray for unity, to look where God's moving, and to move towards what God's doing—you'll be deep in that rich soil of practicing unity. Um, in closing, I just wanted to remind us that Jesus prayed for us to be one, and he already broke down the dividing wall with, among us. He is our head, and we are his body. And we can, and with his help, we can be faithful to align our hearts with his in the rhythm of unity. We can pray for unity, knowing that we have what we ask. We can look for the fruit of unity and see where God is working. And we can move toward other believers in faith and without fear. Ultimately, lessening our temptation to pick up bricks and build new Jesus broke down the barriers. All we have to do is stop picking up bricks. We can't do this alone. We need God's help, and we need each other. May we join the oneness of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and so invite a watching world to the complete love of God. Would you pray with me? Lord Christ, I'm so thankful again that you would break down the walls between me and you between us and you, the walls of our sin, our shame, that those barriers are gone. And not only that, that you have broken down the walls between us, between men and women and different races, between Jew and Gentile, slave and free. There are no, none of those divisions exist in your eyes because you just love us as your children. I just pray as we go forward in this, Lord, that we would embrace that. We would welcome that. We would pray toward that end. Be with us and and protect us from our own selves and help us to continually lay down these things at your feet. We love you, Jesus, and pray these things in your name. I want you to know that I truly believe that, that there is a work of unity in this city. I have seen in the last few years pastors, youth leaders, um, and others meeting together in the sake for the name of unity, for the sake of unity, and crossing denominational lines, crossing racial lines. It's it. There's a current of unity in our city, and I want to just say, I just before I give us a, a benediction to leave, that God is moving, and if we want to be with Him, if we want to be with Jesus, we have to go where He wants us to go in unity. We have to, church. You don't have to go towards unity, but you can't go with Christ because that's where he is. Um, So in that knowledge, I just want to leave you with the benediction from Romans 15. It says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude and mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Go in peace.